This talk is given by Vanessa Zvise Goddard, a writer and lay Zen teacher based in New York City. This talk, like all of Zvise's talks, is offered freely. If you'd like to make a donation, find out more about Zvise's teachings, or sign up for her newsletter, please visit her website at vanessasvisegoddard.org. Thanks for listening. May the merits of these teachings benefit all beings. May these words help and not harm. May they clarify and not confuse. May they self-liberate, leaving no trace of me. Let me just to help me shift. So I was just in a, in a meeting. Uh, I think most of you know, I'm on the board of a Buddhist school in upstate New York. It's called the Middle Way School. And um, two weeks ago, maybe, something like that, we put in place a vaccine mandate because um, the resources of the school and the staff were such that it was becoming increasingly difficult to um, keep everybody safe and social distancing in place and with a Delta variant, it had become very unwieldy. And um, we had been thinking about this for some time and then there was a positive case at the school and it just really brought things to, to the surface, and so we put this mandate in place. Um, the communication, I, I think, was um, a, a little challenging about how we made this decision. And so there has been uh, a little bit of backlash, some resistance and some backlash um, that for different reasons escalated over the last week and change. Let me, there's, my computer is overheating. And so um, we've been having to meet very frequently. And um, tonight we had a, an anti-racism mini workshop for, for the board uh, in order to educate ourselves and see how to best proceed. So that's where I was. I, I'm sorry that I wasn't sitting with you. So, Saoshun was one asked by a student, a child went back to her parent. Why didn't the parent pay attention to her? Saoshun said, it is quite natural, just like that. The student then said, then where is the love between parent and child? Saoshun said, the love between parent and child. But what is the love between parent and child? Saoshan said, it cannot be split apart even when hit with an ax. And this is a koan from the 300 koan, Shobogenso. And it's a collection of koans that Master Dogen put together 13th century. And in the 20th, my teacher, my first teacher, Dada Roshi, uh, translated these koans with Kaz Tanahashi who's a translator, artist, peace activist, teacher. And then uh, Roshi added a commentary and a capping verse and footnotes. And I worked on this manuscript as an editor. And I was remembering, it took, I think, about 10 or 15 years of Sundays, of Daito giving a talk on each one of these koans, Sundays and, and Sashin. 
It was a huge labor of love. And I thought, I remember this koan last Saturday when Jitsuko and Julia Kals sat uh, Tangario to become students. And I've always loved it. I've always loved this koan because I think it captures very beautifully um, the relationship between teacher and student, which in the literature is sometimes referred to as the relationship between parent and child, host and guest. But just to be clear, this is of course the relationship between two adults, right? And it's really more like a close mentor-mentee relationship. And so a way to think about it is really to focus on the love, the love between parent and child, or any two people who are accountable to one another, the, the bond that is formed between two people, in this case, committed to the path of awakening. Now, I think most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with koans, but just a, 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 another brief word about them. You know, when we say that a Dharma talk is dark to the mind, but radiant to the heart, that expression applies, I think, most fittingly to koans. And that's, um, it's a quote by Evelyn Underhill, by the way, the author of Mysticism. And Dido always really liked it, and, and he took it, and we would always repeat it pretty much every Sunday before, especially the Dharma discourse. And so, you know, a koan is not meant to be understood intellectually. Although you can. Once you figure out the language, you figure out the imagery, you can understand it. And the moment that you do, it dies. You know, a koan has to be realized, right? It has to be seen, it has to be lived. Because that's the only way that it would actually help to transform our lives. Which of course is the only thing that it's meant to do. So it has really nothing to do with testing our understanding even, or our knowledge. It's meant to, to jolt us into, or propel us, or let us rest into a new way of seeing ourselves and seeing the world. And, and Shugen Roshi uh, once called them a unique spiritual tool. And I think he's right. You know, I've had my concerns and, and my doubts, you know, about koans, and I've had certainly questions, you know, about my, my own training and, and the gaps in the training due to nobody else's fault. Um, and yet, I do agree. I think they really are unique as a spiritual tool. And so, you know, so as I just, as I move through this, don't try to understand it. Just as you shouldn't try to understand that karma moves forward and backward in time. As we talked about a few weeks ago, as we talked about more recently during the precepts class. It does. It doesn't just move forwards and backwards, in fact, it moves 
in every direction, karma does. That is the Buddha's realization. And of course, the question becomes, how do we see that? How do we make that teaching our own truth? In this koan, how do we see the truth of the love that Saoshan is pointing to? It's not like regular love. It's not what we usually think of when we think about love. So what is it? And a good place to begin is to think about the student asking the question in the first place. What are they trying to understand that, that they bring this up? Right? So we have to put ourselves in their shoes, make their question, my question, your question. So a student goes to Saoshan. I'm probably butchering that. I am so sorry. Saoshan. And Jess is giving me the thumbs up. Thank you for your, <laughs> for your help earlier with it. So Saoshan was is one of the co-founders with Dongshan of the Saoshan school, which is part of our lineage. And lineage... I've touched on this, but you know, lineage to me gives weight and longevity, and hopefully because of that validity to these koans, to these teachings. You know, lineage in our case stretches back 2,500 years, all the way to the Buddha. So this isn't, it's, just, it's not just a course that somebody um, designed last year and it, it caught on. And because of this, at least for me, it makes me trust these teachings. Not every teaching, and not blindly, but if I'm able to see a koan clearly, if I'm able to express it in a live way, I'm seeing and expressing what my teacher and his teacher, and their teacher, and on and on and on, all the way back, and then hopefully all the way forward, what all of these people will see, generally speaking. Right, so when I was sitting with a koan during my training, I knew that thousands, millions probably of people had sat with it before me would probably, hopefully, sit with it after me. And that meant something. I didn't feel so stuck, so alone. And I would think, well, you know, I mean, if Zhao Zhou saw it, and Moshan, and Iron Grindstone Lu, and Dongshan, and Rengetsu, and all of the many, many, many people whom we don't even know their names of, if all of them were able to see it at some point, well, maybe then I can too. And if they transform their lives, maybe I can too. This is the, the weight, the power of having generation after generation see what you've seen and confirm it. That is really the mind-to-mind -mind transmission that we speak of in, in Zen. It's nothing actually goes from A to B. Nothing is actually transmitted other than this confirmation, 
And once you do start to, to do these koans, you start to see they each have their own style. The, the lineages have their style and the teachers have their style. Just as now, you know, teachers have their style, you know, have their, their and, and their particular tilt, right? The way that they present the Dharma. So every teacher is doing exactly the same thing. They're trying to find the best way, the most conducive way to express what is so difficult to express in a way that students will understand, in a way that students will see, will realize. I mean, now we have teachers who teach Buddhism with psychology, with science, with literature, with art. Right, finding, looking for, for ways of expressing that will resonate with you, that will feel relevant, that will feel mm, understandable in the sense of, I may not know what this is saying exactly right now, but I have the capacity to see it and I have the capacity to bring it and integrate it into my life. And it's a wonderful and challenging process, the work of a teacher. I mean, you think you're uncomfortable, those of you who are working on koans. Well, let me tell you that my position is much worse. And I've, and I've already shared this with some of you. My teacher, Dada Roshi, would say that, you know, because you're just experiencing the pain of your stuckness. I'm experiencing your pain multiplied. All of your stucknesses and me saying in my mind, come on, come on, come on, come on, you can do it. And me pointing and, 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 and cajoling. I give you all of these clues. You can't hear them yet. Yet. I tell stories, you know, I, I make comparisons just to see, can I, can, I, can I nudge them? Can I get them to see what I've seen a little bit, the, 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 the little bit that I have seen, that's what I meant. And so, you know, in these, in these more classical koans, you know, some of, the, some of the teachers would just hit. Dashan was known, you know, 30 blows of a stick. Whatever you say, he hits you. We can't do that now because we'd probably get sued. So you, you have it easy. Though I, I, I did threaten Norm, right, last week. I did threaten to, to hit you. <laughs> I wouldn't actually do it, Norm. And Zhao Zhou, his, his style was so sparkling. They called it lips and mouth Zen. And so when an answer to a question, Zhao Zhou put his sandals on his head and he walked away. You know, he wasn't being eccentric. He wasn't being funny. He wasn't being mis mysterious. He was looking for the most alive way to express what he had seen. It did make it one of the most difficult koans in my estimation, that particular one, the sandals on the head. But he was looking, you know, like an artist. He, he, he must have wondered, you know, how, how do I say this so that it captures the whole thing? 
I've told you before, right? You know, the Hemingway wrote um, the ending to Farewell to Arms 49 times. And someone asked him and said, why? And he said, because I had to get the words right. I had to say the whole thing, as much of it as I could. And so think of it that way, especially when you're having a hard time, when you feel stuck. Think that, that, that what you are working with is, is, is an encapsulation, a, a somewhat awkward and incomplete, and yet the best that we have, encapsulation of the whole picture. How do you say the whole thing? That's the challenge. There were teachers like Fayan who just repeated a student's words, word for word, and still were able to shift something, convey a world of meaning. Or teachers like Moshon and Iron Grindstone Lou, two women who were just, um, they commanded respect. And Sarshon, to my mind, is always, he's gentle grandmotherly. I mean, here he's showing a little bit of fang, but he's grandmotherly. He's just really guiding you to it. And so a student asks him, a child went back to her parent, why didn't the parent pay attention to her? Right? Can you hear what's in the question? Because I hear, you said you would help me. Why aren't you helping me? Why do I read these stories of teachers turning their backs on the student, leaving them to fend for themselves? Are you going to do the same to me? Right? I hear, I hear a little bit of fear in the question. I hear doubt. I hear uncertainty. I hear the student asking, you know, can I trust this person? Can I trust them to teach me in the way they, they said they would? And if you take it literally, then you can't imagine, you know, the teacher, the student goes to the teacher and the teacher ignores them. And there are, in fact, plenty of, of stories like that. There's Bodhidharma and Wicca, and Wicca having to cut off his arm to prove how serious he is. But there's many stories of, of where the student literally goes up to the, te the teacher and the teacher turns his back and faces the wall. Many stories of when a student would come to the Buddha and ask a question and the Buddha would not say a single word. And so it could be, right? It could be taken literally. But of course, there's always more, even there, right? Where a teacher is leaving the student on their own, trusting, trusting that they will see it, trusting that they will find within themselves everything they're looking for, cheering them on, silently sometimes, or out loud if needed knowing this person is a Buddha. And sooner or later, they will know that. 
because ultimately, you know, each one of us has to realize it for ourselves. And we all, everybody here knows that. But there's another way to see this line and that Aroshi, when he added his footnotes, that's what his footnote to this line says. The student asks, a child goes to the parent, why does the parent not pay attention? And Roshi says, they meet, but they don't recognize each other. Why? Because it's dark where they meet. Because they're not really meeting. Because they're not two people. Because there's no each other. In the five ranks um, of Master Dongshan, which are talking about the relationship between absolute and relative, between ultimate truth and conventional truth. And if you're wondering right now, what does this have to do with me? Just hold that question, please. In the first verse, so coming from within the absolute, the poem says, in the third watch of the night, before the moon appears, they meet without knowing each other. Still held in the heart is the beauty of former days. Before the moon appears, it's completely dark. They meet without knowing each other. We've talked about this place, this space. We've talked about the entry point that is Zazen. We've talked about there not being, there not being in this place, pain or pleasure, suffering or the end of suffering, as the Heart Sutra says. Right, the middle of the night is the, the time, the place where the self has dropped away. is the time when you realize you're not who you think you are. Is the time and the place where everything changes. Well, actually not there, because there there's nothing. Just after, everything changes. It is like two, two glaciers floating, passing by each other. And then realizing afterwards, we we're made of the same water. It's like that. Is what allows you to realize at a certain point that we're not different, us two. And when that happens, the student becomes the teacher. And that's why Saoshan says it's quite natural like that. It's quite natural that the parent doesn't pay attention to the child. Because before that happens, you think you need my help because you don't know that I'm you and you're me and everything that I know you know. Once you realize that everything else falls into place, and it doesn't mean that we don't help one another, 
Of course we do. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here. But it's different. Then you really do realize, oh, there's nothing to give and there's nothing to receive. Daira would tell, you know, how he would, he would go to his teacher, Maizumi Roshi, and he would thank him, you know, profusely, Roshi, for so much that you've given me. And Maizumi Roshi would just look more and more depressed, as if he'd failed. Exactly. Exactly. May I never pretend to give you something. I mean, if anybody tries to give you something, run. But the student, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not quite there yet. And so he says, well, but then where is the love between parent and child? But you said. And Saoshan says, the love between parent and child. There it is. In every meeting, in every interaction, in every word, Every time we look into each other's eyes, tiny little screens notwithstanding, the love between parent and child, the love between parent and parent, child and child. Do we know that? And do we know then as Saoshan, you know, he, he closes it and he says, oh, because then the, the student is, but what is the love between parent and child? He repeats it. And then Saoshan says, but it can't be split apart, not even with an ax. It can't be split apart with anything. It's not split apart by distance, by time or conditions. There's nothing you can do to tear that love. We can hurt each other, of course, sure. But we cannot hurt that love. And that's an important distinction. You can't split it apart. Not with the acts of doubt, of jealousy, of anger, disappointment, confusion, or, or, or. Please remember that. Because this love is unconditional. And that is why this relationship works. And that is why this relationship is unlike any other relationship that at least that, that I know, that I've experienced. Probably like most of us have, I, I would imagine. And it's not perfect in the way that we think of perfect. But it is whole. And that's why it can't be split apart. That's exactly why. That's exactly why when the student says, but where is the love between parent and child? It's how Sean just says, the love between parent and child. And I was 
sitting with this and I was just reflecting on it and I was feeling it and I was remembering, you know, my love for Daito Roshi was fierce. It really was fierce. I mean, I would have done anything for him, you know, within reason. Because he would have done anything for me, I feel. He did. <laughs> he did. I've said many times before, you know, with every action, every word, he was saying to me, you're a Buddha. And eventually I believed him. When I couldn't do it on my own. I mean, I mean, and that is why we have teachers to begin with. Because in the beginning, even though the whole thing is about us, and we're the only ones who can actually do it, it is hard. It is hard in the beginning. It is hard for a while. And my, my love for Shugen Roshi is, is much quieter, but it's bottomless. I mean, what you would feel for someone who brings you into being. Sometimes it is hard to be far away. And then it was also part of my, my growing up. And I, and I see that, I feel that. And so that love between parent and child, it is like karma, like that, that ripple, right? that stone that's thrown into a pond and it extends outwards. And hopefully if it's nurtured and if it's protected, if it's cared for, it grows until we do know that it pervades everywhere. I mean, it does regardless of what we do, but so that we can know it, so that we can feel it. Because then it does buoy you when your confidence is flagging and it's, you know, it sets you straight when you just gone off track. And I think most importantly, it is constantly reflecting to you that unequivocally, unequivocally, you are perfect, exactly as you are right now. If we never see each other again, starting tomorrow, I will still know that about you. Hopefully you'll know that about you. Whether you sit or not, whether you see the con or not ever, whether you think you're a good person or a good practitioner, it cannot be split apart. Not even with the most powerful tool, I think there is the human mind. Maybe it's not the most powerful tool, maybe the heart. Maybe the heart is the most powerful tool. And still, even a broken heart can split it apart. Hmm. For more talks, to get more information about Zvise's upcoming teachings, or to join her email list, please visit vanessazvisegoddard.org.